0: Well, hi there. Welcome to episode 199 of the Speak Up With Laura Camacho podcast. I cannot believe we are almost at 200. That is so amazing. And thank you for being a part of that. I had no idea this thing was going to become so well known around the world. Who knew that in Charleston, South Carolina, we could be sharing such great information with people? I think that the success of this has a lot to do with the quality of the guests we bring on. And one thing that's always grabbed my attention, and maybe you're like this, or maybe I'm the only one, but to me, there's this small group of celebrities that we all know in the business world, in the communication world. Everybody knows that Oprah is great and that Obama was a fantastic public speaker. Steve Jobs was super innovative. We have like the top two people in every field that we hear about over and over and over again. But after you heard it a while, I get tired of hearing their same stories. I mean, it's great that they made it and that they're international icons. I like hearing about people who are a little bit more accessible and actually have less generic tips to share. And that's what brings me to today. Today I'm doing, for the very first time, I've taken one of my favorite episodes, which was number 179 with Laura Cox Kaplan. It's not because her name is Laura, but because it was so good. I'm going to tell you why I think it was good in just a minute. And also I've gotten to know Laura a lot more since we were on each other's podcasts. And this was her appearance on my podcast. And she's an influence diva. Like she's a queen. She's up in the DC area. She has this blue chip background. I think she was with one of the big consulting firms. She's helped women get elected into high office. So she is a rock star. She's not Oprah. But to me, I would rather learn from Angela Foster, Laura Cox-Kaplan. Rhonda Rawlis, that was episode 197. She was fantastic. Gabe Zickerman from Los Angeles, he was amazing. I learned so much. I was telling my husband last night, it's like every episode I learn a few very small details that help me help my clients get better. And Laura Cox Kaplan left several of these nuggets with us. We started off talking about what do you want to do if you want to leave corporate at the time of this recording in summer of 2023. You know, a lot of people are unemployed, so they may be looking to leave corporate America and do something more creative. So Laura's got some words of wisdom for you. We talked a little bit about getting women elected to public office, what it takes to do that. And we're about to enter an election year, a crazy, crazy election year ways to brag about yourself how to tell your story in a way that's interesting what to use instead of the word failure and if you're not failing like i've had so many things blow up in my face in the last few weeks from technical issues to forgetting things to overbooking myself which is kind of like my achilles heel even though i have electronic calendars Don't think of it as failure, and Laura's going to tell you a way to think about it. Some of you may be ready or curious or interested in becoming a board member. Laura's going to tell you how to do that. And a lot about influence because that is her area of expertise. So this episode is not just a replay, it's an edited version. Our whole team was involved in this process, and we just cut out probably a third of it and are leaving the best of this episode, this replay with Laura Cox Kaplan. And I think you're going to really enjoy this. And I bet you're not gonna remember all the things that she told us in I think it was April or way back then. By the way, at this moment I have just welcomed two grandsons into my life. We had two baby boys born from my two daughters. It's super exciting. So Welcome to the Speak Up with Laura podcast. This is episode 199. It's an edited encore episode with Laura Cox-Kaplan. Enjoy. First of all, thank you for coming to the Speak Up podcast, Laura. It's exciting to have you here. I'm so happy to be here, Laura. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, you know, you're an influencer, you're in Washington, D.C., you have this very prestigious background, working with PwC, working with the SEC and the Department of Labor, not Treasury, Treasury, yeah, right? the yeah, money, yeah, the yeah. money. Yeah. like uh, the whole tel- alphabet soup business. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and guys listening to, you know, by the way, Laura, just so you know, this audience is not only are they highly conscientious, high performers, they're also very good looking. So they want to know, how is it that you managed to do all the influencing that you did in that kind of environment? Because it does sound a little bit intimidating to be in that political world, at least to me it does. I want you to tell us about that and tell us about the She Said, She Said podcast, which I was a guest on earlier this year. It was great. A lot of fun. So just tell us a little bit about your background and the way you see it. I will. I will. Laura, thank you so much again for having me. And thank
1: you for those lovely, lovely words. I don't know that any of it is as impressive as you have made it out Mm -hmm. to be, but I have been really blessed with an interesting career journey so far and very blessed with incredible people that I've worked with and learned from. So I actually got my start in kind of an interesting way in that I was in college And my grandmother, Lottie Mae Roach, I grew up in this small town in Texas called Rising Star, and I was at the University of Texas at Austin getting a degree in journalism and political science. Mm -hmm. My grandmother met our then congressman who represented this rural district in West Texas. And she met him. She was the grand marshal of our parade for the 4th of July. And she just loved him, thought he was such a nice man. And she saw in the newspaper that he was accepting applications for interns. So she called me up and said, you need to send them your resume. This would be a great experience for you. So I did. They picked me. I came to Washington. It was life-changing for me because I really had not understood what it meant to be part of this political and policy world, and having these opportunities at a really young age to explore leadership firsthand, to have an impact, to really work alongside people, making hopefully big decisions, helping people. I just loved it. It was incredible. So when I graduated, I took a full-time job with that congressman that led to becoming a press secretary for a senator from Alabama, and spent a number of years doing that, and then worked in a presidential administration. And so it was sort of a path that started in communications and then communication strategy and then evolved into more policy roles. And then those policy roles ultimately rolled into a corporate job where I took all of those skill sets and ultimately could marry them up and create strategies for PricewaterhouseCoopers. I started working at PwC back in 2004, and this was after Enron and WorldCom and all those corporate governance scandals of those days. Mm -hmm. And the firm was becoming regulated for the first time. And so they needed a strategy, and it required the elements that I had been working to fine tune in my career. You had to win over the hearts and minds of partners inside the firm. You had to win over the hearts and minds of the investing public that had completely lost faith in the quality of audited financial statements at the time. And it was also winning over the hearts and minds of regulators and convincing them that we were doing the right thing, that we were listening, that this was something that we could engage with them on because these rules were being written and everything was not so smooth. It was a little clunky in those days. Yes, I'm sure. It was. And so that's kind of my career path. And then after a number of years at PwC, I developed some form of wanderlust, I guess you could call it. But I needed some new challenges and I really wanted to challenge myself more creatively and I wanted to have a way to use all the things that I had learned and all these experiences and these lessons that I had gained from other people and share them with others in a more direct way. And so that evolved into a teaching position at American where I teach as an mm-hmm. adjunct once or mm-hmm. twice a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I teach a women's leadership course. And then that course ultimately grew into She Said, She Said
0: podcast, oh! which I was so happy to have you join me on. So that's kind of the story in short form. Oh my gosh, that is so interesting. So I want you all listening to take note and take heart because I talked to a lot of you about your promotions and your career. And sometimes I know some of you want to do something different so you can learn from Laura Kaplan's Cop- experience and mine too, that you can do something different. It's just a matter of being prepared to accept a certain level of risk and preparing the best you can. And I think that's really ultimately which makes such an interesting life. I and- think all that's true, Laura. Mm-hmm. I would say one more thing,
1: at least in my case, I don't know if this was true for you as well, but another element of it was it was scary as all get out to mm-hmm. make a career pivot because I had loved my job. My job at PwC was the job that I had ultimately aspired yeah, to. It that sounds was the really- job that I wanted. <laughs> right, and I amazing. was paid a lot of money. And I got to be kind of fancy pants, if mm-hmm, you will. Mm-hmm. You know, I went yeah. to a nice restaurant, you know what I mean? Like there was a lot of the golden handcuffs were a very real thing. And ultimately, I had to break up with all of that mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. order to try something different. And that was incredibly scary. The scariest part, though, for me was being willing to reinvent myself in a way that was going to sort of take me to the next level, both Mm -hmm. personally and professionally, and recognizing that I didn't have to have a label of somebody else or Mm -hmm. some other organization attached to me in order to be who I was. And that was really,
0: really hard for me. It is scary because you, in a sense, made it So what's next? I mean, I understand that. I think everybody listening deals with that fear. And I think it's just that there is a risk and that's something to manage. And there's so many things that you don't know that you don't know, but you can't know until you actually cut the cord. (laughs) And for me, preparing to go out on my own meant making sure I had enough savings to get me through a year of less income. And that that definitely helped the only thing I miss from my corporate days, which were not as glamorous, but they were good and learning is PTO. <laughs> <laughs> right. Health important people her. do not get PTO. Right. We when, when get <laughs> TO, it's just not paid. But Laura, I'm so impressed because I saw that you worked on a pack about maybe less than 10 years ago to get more women in elected offices, I don't know what the numbers are exactly, but just looking superficially, you must have made a difference because you do see a lot more women speaking out. You know, just look at Marjorie Taylor Greene, AOC, Anna Paulina Luna, The Squad. I mean, we have a lot of young outspoken, and they're not just sitting down, drinking tea and keeping quiet. You know, they're the ones that... hearing from. So I want to hear that story. How
1: did you do that? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. Talking about politics in this day and age is sometimes a treacherous set of conversations, but we're not going to talk about pro or con. We're just going to talk about straightforward. Here's what we did and here's why we did it. What you're talking about is a political action committee that I was responsible for as part of my responsibilities at PwC. So I ran the strategy for public policy strategy. So all of our interactions with lawmakers and elected officials and regulators, et cetera, et cetera, both globally and in the U.S., And as part of that, that meant making sure we had good relationships with them, understanding where they were coming from. And the political action committee we used back then as a tool in order to develop those relationships. And so we would have a a budget, essentially. We would raise money directly from the partners who would contribute into the PAC. And then we would look at the members that were on committees of jurisdiction, for example, who shared our point of view around free market and entrepreneurship and a number of criteria that were important. And then we would give them PAC dollars, you know, Mm -hmm, based on mm -hmm. the legal limits. This was back in more like 2013, 2014. When I began to think about it, Diversity and inclusion was a big priority for the firm, especially as it related to women. Mm -hmm. We found the attrition rate as it related to women, women partners or women who were just about to become partners would leave, go on maternity leave, have a baby, come back, have a really hard time managing that, take a break, then never come back again. And so we were developing all sorts of strategies Mm -hmm. to ultimately deal with that attrition. And I began to think about what are some things that we could do within our public policy world to also look at this problem because then, and again, my numbers, I hope I'm getting this right, but I wanna say that the number of women who were in the House and Senate at the time was more like between 15 and 18%, something mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it made no sense. There was no reason for that. So we started looking at it. We started doing some research around it. What are those drivers? I was talking to people who were much more engaged in candidate recruitment than I was and getting their point of view. And the thing was, when you had an open seat and women ran, they did tend to win with greater Uh. frequency. So we thought, well, gosh, why don't we look at some open seat races Mm -hmm. and figure Mm -hmm. out, can we contribute to women and maybe give her a little bit of a boost? Mm -hmm. We did some interesting creative things we gave to some women that would not necessarily have been on our giving List because maybe they were lower in seniority, or maybe they weren't on committees of jurisdiction, but maybe they shared our mindset around topics and issues. So we would bring them into the fold and begin mm-hmm. to develop a relationship with them sooner in the hopes that they would end up being on committees that had mm-hmm. jurisdiction over what we cared about. And so it gave us the ability to kind of think more broadly about this topic of diversity and how we could use our resources a little bit differently. Now, I don't take any credit <laughs> for for the increase. I mean, today in the year 2023, the number of women in the house and the senate I believe is now 28%, almost 30%, mm-hmm. which is great. That's at least a 10% right. increase. Right. And so it's a result of lots of effort and lots of attention. But at the point in which we started this, people were really not paying attention to it. It was not Mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. that... You know, you would say this and people would automatically say, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. They'd be like, wait a minute, what? Wait, we're only going to give to women, We're, you know? And so it took a lot of convincing to say, no, no, it's not that. It's that we're looking to create more of a farm team and we're looking mm-hmm. to provide some support in places where maybe we can move the needle and help women right. move the needle for themselves, right? You're just right. giving them a little boost that they might not have had otherwise. So that was essentially the strategy and made a big difference. I personally think it was the right thing to do at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was a little bit about that strategy.
0: Well, I want to, I'm just throwing this at you. Is this a single anecdote from someone I met at a party And she is a local personal injury attorney. So uh-huh. she's very aggressive in court. You know, she's not a... She's not well, an she, introvert. No, she's not an <laughs> no. introvert. Most likely. No, not an introvert. She's not quiet. She's not afraid to speak up. And <laughs> she ran for some kind of... I don't remember the what local office it was, but it uh-huh. was something, and she didn't get it. And she said the most distasteful, she was glad she did the election, I mean, that she tried, she said it brought her family together. She learned a lot, but she said what she really hated was having to go to all these meetings and brag about herself. And she felt like that. And a lot of people feel that way when they're trying to pitch themselves for a promotion. I know you have a lot of experience in this. What is your word to someone how to be convincing and compelling. And I don't think you need to brag about yourself, but how would you respond to that?
1: Yeah. So it's a great question. And I struggle with this just like any other, I think, normal person. Most normal people have a hard time looking at their own resume (laughs) and being like, wow, I am so fabulous. You know, instead they look at it and they're like, oh yeah, everybody's done that. But everybody Mm -hmm. hasn't done that in the same way that you've done it. And so I think my tip as it relates to this is to really be honest and think about your own story and those experiences that you can string together that truly are unique to you, right? Mm -hmm. Where Mm -hmm. you grew up, how you grew up, the jobs that you've held, the mentors that you've learned from all of those experiences. And don't forget to include the experiences where you dropped the ball, you fell short, right. you didn't know something that you needed to know. You can call it failure or you, in my opinion, you call it setback because failures are something that you should learn more mm-hmm. from than, mm-hmm. you, know, mm-hmm. you You are the one who can define whether it becomes a failure. And to me, it's only a failure if you don't learn something from
0: right, it. Right, and right, right. So That's a great point.
1: Thank you. Remembering to incorporate... Those experiences as well when you're telling your story, when it's truly authentic to you. And the other piece of this that I would take is once you've done that, then think about what is that opportunity that you're crafting your story for? Is it a job? Is it, Laura, as you and I have talked about in the past, about credentialing yourself maybe for board service, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Whatever the opportunity, or maybe it's appealing to a new client. How can you take your knowledge and experiences and past jobs and failures and successes and carve that into a narrative that actually helps that entity, that person, that company solve a problem? What can you bring to the table as a board member, as a consultant, that they're not already doing, right? Right. Really understanding your audience, I think is a very important element. And if you're crafting your story from the standpoint of helping someone else solve a problem, Mm -hmm. I also think it helps you get out of that mindset that you're bragging.
0: Yeah, I love that. Because also the stories like bring us together because at some point, if you tell three stories, To an audience of 300 people, everybody's going to relate to one aspect of at least one of your stories. Yes. Just as a fun example, when you were telling about having that political internship, it reminded me of that position. A political internship had a pivotal role in my family, in my mother's generation. Her father died when she was six. And so it was her mother, three kids in New Mexico. Oh, wow. Like They were like struggling. Oh, my God. Big time. And my mother had two grandmothers. One was a staunch Republican and one was a staunch Democrat. Like they were both (laughs) hardcore. And I think it was the senator was Democrat. His name was Chavez. Uh And back in the day, instead of interns, they had pages. Uh So this was, I don't know, the 50s, maybe? And my mother's older brother got a Page internship. Where like he would go to school there. It was a boarding school. Plus, uh, you yes. did work on the. That that still exists. The Page does program it? St- yeah, oh, that still it? Exists. yeah exists. Okay, well that literally changed the trajectory of all of their lives because wow. there was someone who got into you know who we would call in quotes high society, fancy society. <laughs> got to see how the other half lives that propelled him to college, to law school. And you just never know what an internship is going to do for your family, right? But I've never shared that story with anybody until you shared how that internship had a difference in your own life. And again, from being a rural part of the state, my mom. Family was in rural New Mexico, so um, that's amazing. Yeah. I love that story. Isn't, isn't that cool? And yeah. and just the sometimes you do get to experience something that has a huge impact in your life, and sometimes you get to have that huge impact on somebody else's life, right? right? And I think looking for those stories to do that, right, and having the courage to tell them.
1: Yeah, like I think I said before, sometimes we don't always recognize these things for ourselves. Sometimes it can take a mentor or a coach or a trusted friend who can help you plow through your resume and say, these are the things that you should really be focusing. These are the things that truly are when you thread them together. These are the things that are unique to you. Mm -hmm. And I think from my standpoint, as I looked back, when I made my pivot from PwC and started thinking about what do I want to do next Mm -hmm. and where can I add value... It was later on after I had launched, she said, she said that I really thought influence is the piece that's resonating the most with me and how I think people oftentimes think about influence as being this big thing you have to have a big personality you have to be born into wealth or you have to be whatever in order to be influential and while those people can be influential right me based on the incredible women including yourself who've come on my podcast to tell their stories based on my own experiences it really boils down to i think some smaller micro habits that are practiced mm-hmm. consistently mm-hmm. over time that Mm -hmm. really help us build that influence. And it was like spending time thinking about all of this and thinking about my story and kind of unwinding it that I found this thread that I hadn't really realized existed until oh, I spent time thinking about
0: it. Yes, that's so cool. And I think that's what you and I share in common is that we want to, in a way, level the playing field for people who didn't go to Ivy Leagues, whose father is not a senator, that's and right. you know, they don't have a trust fund to <laughs> support them, but you can still you know, have a difference. So tell me about when you had that insight about, oh, it's influence how do you do that? (laughs) How do you do that? Yeah. So as I thought about
1: it, there were three big buckets that kind of jumped out at me. And there are Mm -hmm. lots of ways that you can build influence, but Mm -hmm. there are three things that I find with great consistency. And one is the topic that we've already been talking about, Mm -hmm. and that relates to story, Mm -hmm. how you Mm -hmm. curate it, how you edit it. And that includes both the story that you tell yourself about Mm -hmm. who you are and what's important to you. And it's the story that you tell to the world. Mm -hmm. It's also the story that you tell when you have a setback. And what Mm -hmm. you learn from Mm -hmm. that and the mindset, as you and I talked about Mm -hmm. on my podcast already, Laura, back several weeks Mm -hmm. ago, this idea of mindset and how you approach the experiences that you are having or have had that make up your story, how you think about those and the narrative that you're telling yourself and the mindset that Mm -hmm. you're putting forth Mm -hmm. as it relates to that. So stories, number one, the second bucket is investment. It's investing in yourself mm-hmm. so that you're better prepared to invest in other people. We have to take the time and commit to those things that make us a little better than we were yesterday, right? Doesn't have to be a 50% improvement. Right, right, like right. A little bit of improvement, but just mm-hmm. some knowledge and focus on how can I invest in myself? I think listening to podcasts like yours Mm -hmm, and hopefully mm -hmm. mine. Absolutely. Great investments Mm -hmm, that people mm -hmm. can make in themselves because your podcast and mine are all about how we can do a better job communicating and how we can do a better job of building and sustaining influence. And so those investments, I think are really important. And it's not selfish. It's not Mm -hmm. self-serving necessarily because you're going to be much more prepared to contribute to
0: other people. and to Exactly. And you'll be able to add more value because you're more skilled. 100%. Yeah, exactly. And that investment works both ways. Like you also
1: have to invest in the crafting and the telling of your story. So it kind of, mm-hmm, you know, reverts mm-hmm. back. And then the third big bucket is intentional persistence around things that you feel a calling to do. And by that I mean sometimes through some. Weird force in the universe, perhaps, not to get too woo woo, but mm-hmm. something will tap you on the shoulder. Right, right. And will tell you you're not where you're supposed to be. Right. And you'll say to yourself, well, where am I supposed, to, supposed be? to be? Right, right. That answer may not be clear. Mm-hmm. But what is clear is that you're not where you're supposed to be and that maybe you should take some steps to go on that journey and figure out what that is. Mm-hmm. And my advice as it relates to that third mm-hmm. bucket mm-hmm. in just do some things, try some things, right?
0: Experiment. Learn
1: a lot by experimenting mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. by exploring. And the answer will ultimately be revealed much faster than
0: if you just sit around and think about it. Right. Yes, this is never gonna come <laughs> if you don't do something. 100%. Massive action. <laughs> yes. Totally. Thinking is great.
1: But mm-hmm. what I find with women, a lot of times, myself included, is that we can think ourselves out of Oh, for sure. Right? Absolutely. You, you get this huge benefit, both in terms of what you learn, but also in terms of the confidence that you build by trying new stuff. Even if you realize, okay, I need to practice at this. I'm not as good at it as I could be, right? Even if you realize that, you're learning through that process. And there's a lot of growth that comes through doing in a way that I think that same growth doesn't necessarily happen when you're just thinking about it. So that's my influence
0: methodology, if you will, for lack of a better term. It's kind of the framework. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, my framework, exactly. Well, I just want to recap for our audience. I think this is extremely useful. And I want to maybe take this and say the motivating factor and the factor that shows that it's not arrogance or it's not selfishness. Yeah. Okay. So Laura's mentioned story, your stories around the things that you've learned, right? And why the thing that you want to influence about is important and useful and helpful. And then investing in yourself and your skills. And then just like Laura said, like I often coach my, you know, corporate clients to be communication coaches for their teams. I'm like, you're their boss. You're seeing it. Coach them. (laughs) Because, but they can't do that if they haven't been coached, That's right. right. And then the intentional persistence and, you know, paying attention if something doesn't feel right, like Laura said, you might not get the answer in the moment, but try different things, you know, maybe travel, maybe public speaking, maybe attending a class, maybe meeting someone. I think all of those are extremely useful. But what is the end game with your influence, folks? It's not, please see how magnificent I am. It is. That is not what we're about. It's about, let's make this operation better let's be more streamlined or more useful to others or serve others or help others in some way. And in any case, you're the egg that lays the golden egg. And part of those eggs is influence, right? So it's really about your mission, you know? And we're all here, we all have a purpose. And I think the influence... Is probably part of that purpose. If you're listening to this, well, and I'll it's how, how it. you relate to other people, right? I mean, yeah. Laura,
1: to use sort of how you and I found each other, mm-hmm. we found each other, I think, through both the Southern Sea, the Southern Coterie, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. as well as the Lydia Menzies Supper right. Club, right? right. Both of which in, were investments in ourselves, exactly. And it's you know, this was investing in. Developing a relationship. Mm -hmm, So not just mm -hmm. investing in the groups, but also being proactive about investing and in developing a relationship. I reached right. out to you and said, right, you hey, Laura, I love your podcast. I've listened to Speak Up With mm-hmm. Laura several mm-hmm. times. I always get something out of it. I want you to come on, she said, she said podcast. And you said, that's a great idea. I want you to come on, Speak Up With right. Laura. <laughs> and we're collaborating. I think the collaboration and developing those relationships is another example of how we can invest in ourselves, and also how we can invest in others. It's creating and that network, right, right?
0: that's right. And everybody listening, because I'm sure you're thinking, well, what, a, you know, Laura could have pitched that she wanted to be on my podcast or me on hers. And I could have said, oh no, I would never do that. <laughs> I, mean, I really can't imagine, but it, it is a possibility. It yeah. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, I'm having knee surgery tomorrow. I'll be out for three months or something. That would, you know, something like that. So there is risk. And I mentioned risk because I had just heard that's, you know, it's the way of addressing this. I guess it's another name for fear. And we all have fears. That is right. just part of life. You don't get out of life without having some fears or some risk. And it's a matter of managing it. So Laura, I want to pivot to something very specific that you are really good at. And I know that some of the people listening would like to get some tips on how to be on a board. I think most of the people listening who want to be on a board would probably rather be on a nonprofit, but not everyone. So like that's a whole different world. Tell us about that. Yeah,
1: so that's a great question. I really have loved my board service, both my corporate board service as well as my nonprofit board service, and I do both. But I think it can seem very mystifying and people can say okay, I want to be on a corporate board, but not have a real understanding of what that actually means and why. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. think the most important thing to think about is what are the requirements of a board member first? Right, right. Right. Is it really something that you want to do and where you can actually tell you, right? And understanding that the financial piece is a very, Mm -hmm. very large piece. It's not the Mm -hmm. only piece, but it's a very large piece of certainly corporate board service Mm -hmm. and to a large extent, nonprofit board service as well. However, in addition to that, it's important to think about the boards where you see a particular problem or opportunity, perhaps, Mm -hmm, that that mm -hmm. company or that entity might have. Mm -hmm. And you match that up with your skill set, some knowledge or experience or perspective that Mm -hmm. you can bring to the table. And I think that really is where the magic sauce is. If you can sit down And talk to someone in that company, ideally the CEO, and talk to them about what are you looking for or what are your challenges. That's the way that all of my board roles have ultimately came to be, Mm -hmm. either in conversation for one board. And I met with a board member who said, God, this is not going to work because we Mm -hmm. don't need that. But I have another board and you'd Mm -hmm. be perfect for that Mm -hmm. because we Mm -hmm. do have these challenges. And so I think being really honest about your resume, what you know how to do and matching that up Mm -hmm. with the kinds of challenges that that entity is likely to be facing. I think that's a really great way to think about board service. There are other strategies and suggestions. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of different groups that exist out there now. I had Sukinder Singh Cassidy, who was the CEO of StubHub. She's just taken a new job, I think recently, but she wrote a book called Choose Possibility and she ran or runs... A nonprofit group called the Board List, which you can go, oh, you, know, you can register okay. on it. I think you have to be referred by someone, but you can register on that. Then another friend of mine, Lisa Shallot, has a group called Extraordinary Women on Boards. It stands for oh. EWB. Is that? Oh, <laughs> I love acronym. it. I love it. But Lisa, who mm-hmm. you can you know Google and mm-hmm. find on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. has this incredible group, which really is a group that helps support. Women, both in their quest to go on boards, Mm -hmm. but also a support network for maybe working through challenges and improving your expertise, sort of the continuous personal improvement, the continuous learning. And they provide some support in that regard. There's a lot of different groups that are out there. But I think connecting with some of those groups, mm-hmm. thinking about the companies that you think you're qualified to serve as a board member on, and really thinking about your story and how to you know, then craft your pitch so that it's appealing to that entity.
0: I love that. And I, as you're describing that, I'm thinking of so many clients who have this Maybe it's high-tech experience, expertise, right. or maybe it's finance, or maybe it's project management, or maybe it's marketing. But everybody knows how to do something. <laughs> and nonprofits especially need help. You know, They usually start with a visionary person, but it really takes a lot of different skills to make it grow. And corporate boards also can benefit from different kinds of people, just like a regular job doing your homework. You've given some great resources. So those of you who are interested in joining a board, definitely there are resources out there to help you systematically look at organizations, decide how you would fit and start the process of pitching yourselves. It's kind of like getting a job, right? Isn't it, it is.
1: It's very much like getting a job. And I think too, another thought that occurred to me that I think is important to look at is look at who's currently on that board mm-hmm. and look at holes there. Look for any gaps that you might be in a position to fill. If you look at the backgrounds of the existing board members and you say, gosh, I'm a woman and they don't have any women right like there's a good place to start right it's not the only consideration but it can be an additional consideration in addition to your skills and experience right. and expertise. it can be
0: right. a toenail in for the door sure for sure might as well use it if you got it right <laughs> exactly exactly this is so interesting We're running out of time, but I want to go through a couple more topics. And I want to know, Laura, what advice would you give somebody who's at a director level in a company in the middle, you know, and he or she has been told that they need allies to move up and they're like, I'm a high performer. Why do I need to do this? What is your advice to someone wanting to move up to VP level?
1: Yeah, I think building your network is a really important one. You and I talked a moment ago about the importance Mm -hmm. of collaborating, of investing in relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That also applies, I think especially applies as it relates to folks that are at that level of director. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you do that, right? Mm -hmm. How do you? Yes, (laughs) how do you do that? (laughs) There's that funny line. I think it's in Sheryl Sandberg's book, if I'm not mistaken and about, uh, you know, there was a children's book about, will you be my mommy? It was the duckling that, you know, went around. Right, all the right, places. right. My mentor, right? Yeah. Do <laughs> right, right, right. But it does mean like thinking about who in your organization or company is someone that you'd like to learn from? And Mm -hmm. rather than just reaching out and saying, hey, I'd like to pick your brain, God forbid. Don't (laughs) say that ever. Please don't ever say that. (laughs) Instead, call them up and say, I'd really like to get to know you and understand how you got to this point in your career. And then I also have maybe some thoughts or suggestions, like think about this in advance and understand who your audience is and who Mm -hmm. you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But come Mm -hmm. prepared for that interaction with some really good questions and some areas that you think they could maybe give you some advice on because Mm -hmm. those are the people who can help you rise up the corporate ladder, if you will, Mm -hmm. if you're in a corporate job and you're looking to rise up you know, find ways of talking to and building a relationship with those folks, the way to turn those interactions, right? You've requested a meeting and the person has been very gracious and said, I'd be happy to tell you about my mm-hmm, career mm-hmm. journey. But the trick is how do you take that one meeting and turn right. it to oh, an actual relationship, right? Yes. How do you, how do you make it sticky? I have a lot of great examples, but one in particular, because it stands out in my mind because it was an intern who did this. Mm -hmm. And she was part of an internship program that I started in our public policy group at PwC. And she said, I'd really love to sit down with you and understand more about your career. I'm like, of course, because that's the whole purpose of having them there, right? Right. She sits down with me and she literally has a list of questions, you know, and things. Mm -hmm. And then she also had a list of things that she thought she might add value.
0: Oh wow.
1: could we make this a regular thing? And could I come back? And would you mind sharing with me anything that you think I could help add value on? Maybe topics where mm-hmm. a younger person's perspective might be right. I mean, technology is a great example, you know, depending on how right. old you are and you're listening, right. right? But technology can be helpful if the person that you're trying to develop a relationship with has to, happens to be more senior to you, right? Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. some other experience that you've had that you think they might benefit from. So finding ways of adding value to that person that you want mm-hmm. a relationship with, I think is a really important way to go about that. And if you're approaching those interactions from the standpoint of curiosity, what you can learn and what you can also contribute and how you can invest in them,
0: right? Um, I love that. After
1: the fact, like that's an easy thing to do, right? So true. You, you're reading your Harvard Business Review. You're reading the Economist. You're reading whatever, and you run across an article that you're like, "Oh, that would be so great." Sally spent all that time with me in that mentor conversation. I'm going to send her this article because mm-hmm. I think she really love it. And you write a note that says, yes! oh, "Hey, Sally, thank you so much. I was thinking again about our." A great conversation. And I ran across this article. I think you're going to love it and
0: maybe share a couple of thoughts or. A point right, of right. Takeaways. Of Exactly. And she may not read it ever, but it still builds the relationship. And you
1: thought about her, right? right. You, you are investing in her and showing that you care about her as well. Mm-hmm. It's not just about you. It's right. about investing in her. I think that's really a very important tip and tactic, certainly to building a network. It also, by the way, to circle all the way back to, to tie this conversation uh-huh. up in a bow, it's about building and sustaining influence. Those are right. some of those micro habits that really help us solidify relationships. They help us grow. They help us develop that network. Those are the people you're going to turn to and say, oh, hey, I'm launching this new thing. Would you consider writing a
0: review or providing right. some support or introducing me to someone? Right. right? And going out on the limb. Just think, Laura, how long ago did that intern reach out to you? Like, how long ago was that conversation that you still remember?
1: Uh, That would probably have been, oh, my gosh, at least a decade. Oh, more than that. Probably more than a decade ago. And she still reaches out, by the way. She's done so well in her career. And I I don't hear from her all the time, but I hear from her probably once or twice a year. She was super intentional about mm-hmm. the actions that she was taking. She was very thoughtful. She was very prepared. And she was investing in herself and she was investing in the people that she felt like could be helpful to her. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. it really was a very thoughtful approach to that. And I think that to me is kind of the secret.
0: I agree. When you say to someone, Oh, I'd like to pick your brain, they just, <laughs> it, <don't>. they want. <laughs> It makes them want to crawl into a hole and never go. I, it's such a terrible uh, expression, but it's much more interesting. I'd like to hear your story. I love and, and when somebody brings ideas to the table and not just a laundry list of like, these are some things I think you need to fix because breaking things down is easy. Criticizing is easy. Solving things is not easy. So if you've got some ideas, bring them. Yeah, absolutely. I
1: think another element, and I think I discovered or sort of understood this later than I should have. <laughs> it's one um, of those things that I wish the, I the had story understood story of my life. I know. Yes. And and it's the value that comes from asking for help not just for you who mm-hmm. needs the help. But also the value that comes as it relates to the relationship when you ask someone for help and the validation to say, I care about your opinion so much that I'm asking you for help, right? Right. And it depends on what that help looks like, right? Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting that you run around to be a beggar. I'm suggesting that when you ask someone for their expert advice and opinion on a series of topics that it really does make them feel good because they're like, gosh, that person cares enough about what I think to ask me. And I think I didn't realize the impact that that would have on really solidifying that relationship.
0: I totally agree. And I always thought, you know, I was bothering them and that's what we hear from clients and younger. Oh, I don't want to bother. No, no, no. I mean, if it's well thought out, if it's well-crafted, You know, you're not just sending some half baked, oh, I just thought about, what do you think about? No, when you bring that well thought out proposal, pitch, idea, and get that feedback. And that also, if that person participates in it, then they're going to be bought into it and actually help you move the whole thing forward. So it's a real win win. Just so many wisdom bombs falling on everybody. How is this even free? I don't know. But it is. so Well, I am getting
1: a lot out of our new friendship. Yes. So delighted to have had you on She Said, She Said podcast. And I'm so happy to be here with you. As I said before, I'm an avid
0: listener of Speak oh, Up to Well, I, <laughs> I get now. a lot out of it. All right, so where can people find you, follow you, get in touch with you, Laura? This has been so much fun, so much value, everybody. I know you're like, how is this so free, Laura? You are, I'll just say, you're welcome. So tell (laughs) me. Tell so, how, to, how to get a hold of you. Absolutely. Laura, thank you for asking that question.
1: And of course, you can pay Laura and me in, term, in, in reviews or you can oh, buy us a cup of coffee. You right. can, you know, you can right. contribute in any number of ways. Reviews would be greatly yes. appreciated. I'll just yes. go ahead and say that on behalf of both of us because it's so hard to get yes. people to write reviews. Even when they're listening, and people will right. send us, you know, notes. I'm sure they send yes. you notes about, yes. I love the show, and I got this, and I thought right. this guest was yes. great, whatever. Uh, yes. like, please, 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 put, so put it review. on you <laughs> because that helps us right. not only fine tune our content, but it also helps us reach. A broader and more broader people. audience exactly. so that more and more people can listen. And so that's obviously important. So, where can you find me? She Said, She Said Podcast.com is our mm-hmm. website, but you'll find She Said, She Said Podcast with me, Laura Cox Kaplan, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Those are the best places. On social media, you'll find me at Laura Cox Kaplan with a K. And I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, pretty much everything at this point. And I'd be so grateful if folks would follow and check out the podcast. And also check out Laura's
0: conversation with me from a few weeks ago. Oh, that's right. That's right. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Great. This this has been so much fun. You're welcome, everybody. I'm always thinking of you and bringing you the most interesting people. And we will touch base again in the next episode. Bye-bye.